This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. On studio, in studio, um, I'm joined by Robin, uh, who used to be um, Robin Chelsonson, if I pronounce his name quite well. Good evening, sir. Uh, Nicholson, good evening. Uh, Nicholson, Nicholson, I beg your pardon. Uh, um, Robin used to be the, the CFO at the South African uh, 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 SABC as well as the acting CEO at the SABC. He has also had a stint at uh, South African um, Airways. Um, my brother, welcome. And you couldn't meet a better person to come and give us a, 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 at least an idea or, or, or a perspective around you know, the kind of challenges that SA is actually experiencing. Oh, thank you, Nimrod. Thanks for the invitation. No pleasure is mine. Uh, we go. But maybe for you, uh, Robin, the, the, the very first question uh, is, do we need a national airline in the context of um, the, the liabilities that we've seen? I mean, uh, in the first first quarter of the current financial year, we have known, we have, we've been made aware that SA lost close to about 1.5 billion rents and continues to lose. Um, clearly, this has been a liability. It continues to become a liability, and, and it's not really delivering the goods. Do we really need an airline? Well, Nibrod, I think the que- the, that's the fundamental question. And it's one that sort of leads itself to an obvious answer that we need a national airline. But the question then becomes, well, who should be the owner of the national airline? You know, I think we've got a point to say fairly that the state has failed to run SAA well for many years. And it predates uh, democracy. I mean, if we, you know, SA was nothing more than a liability for transit, which is why it was spun off quite early in the, in the process. Um, the question then becomes, how should it be configured? You know, do the taxpayers mm. always need to support it or, or don't the economics work for us? Um, you know, it, it is a large institution. It has got a good footprint. It's got great assets. It's got good people. Why can't it run profitably? Absolutely. Maybe just uh, uh, for the listener who who may not know how the SA is currently configured, so that one is able to locate the change, uh, or rather the turnaround in that context, a brief um, uh, orientation in terms of how the the SA is configured at the moment. Well, you've got the holding company, mm-hmm. which owns the various divisions, and it's got three or four airlines. It's got SAA. Which, which we know is the main carrier. It's got Mango, which is its low-cost operator. Then it's got its two short-op um, operators, SA, uh, uh, um, uh, Airlink uh, and FlySA. <laughs> so it's got two short-hop operators. It's then got a, a food company t- that provides on-flight meals and, and support services. And it's got a very large technical division, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the technical division supports the entire aircraft fleet in South Africa. It, so it services Kalula um, and all the visiting aircraft from around the world, you know. So it, it's a, in its own right, it's a very significant business and a, a key strategic uh, business. Without that, you, you would really battle to have an airline industry in this country. But in, the, in, in that context, I mean, we have seen how generally the airline environment is, is, is dwindling and, and, and we see more and more uh, new, you know, uh, competitors coming to the space, which means the biggest carriers such as um, SAA uh, competing in that space and losing revenue. Um, surely this is, is about, this is present an opportunity for, for, for the SA to be structured differently, um, you know, for it to become competitive. Uh, if, if someone would ask, um, what, what, what is our competitive advantage, which we need to be leveraging on as an airline, um, for us to, to move forward? Well, Nimrod, you know, I, I work in the, the turnaround and rescue and restructuring business, which is much lower down 
um, the line. And, and I suppose the first thing you really need is where's the space going to come from for them to restructure SAA? You know, it's it's got a it's in a deep hole and mm-hmm. the fire is burning hotly. <laughs> so what are the assets that they really want to keep, and what assets do they really want to divest of? Let's say that conversation first, because there are loss making businesses within SAA that perhaps should belong somewhere else. You know, um, I'm quite convinced that if you were to put SA on up for sale and you were to call a group of businessmen around, I'm sure you'd find the room full of people who'd love to buy some of the assets and other assets they wouldn't want to touch at all. You know, um, so let's, let's start there. Let's have a look at what it is we need mm-hmm. at, at a fundamental level from an airline. Um, and how is SA going to restructure it? Because there's where the challenge is going to be. You know, it, it's, it's got an almost monopoly on a, on a lot of its roots. It's a large organization, but it's been badly run for a long, long time. And, and that seems to become the core issue, you know, from governance at the board level, um, down to operations management. Um, it's, it's got challenges at every level. Absolutely, absolutely. One of the critical issues that, that perhaps maybe uh, you and I shared even before you, we, we, we came on air was the fact that the current um, turnaround strategy uh, is not new. I mean, SAA has gone through numerous uh, turnaround strategies, downsizing, uh, uh, alignment, and every, every other model of, of transformation we've seen it. But there's not been anything uh, successful in terms of ex- execution. Um, the, the new CEO, I mean, um, w- what will he do differently to get to a point where um, at least there's a bit of traction uh, in terms of turning around? Well, I, yes, absolutely. I think, you know, we've all seen various iterations of an SAA turnaround plan. It's discussed in Parliament every year as part of the PFMA process. They've got to come up with a three-year plan. It's clearly documented. It's documented at an operational level. But the the, the actual delivery against that plan seems to be mired in governance, um, allegations of corruption, although you never get told exactly what it is that is corrupt. It's just that word that's used these days with, without any specifics as to what it actually entails and who did what to whom and what are the consequences going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that you, you've got a real challenge around operations, and that starts at governance mm-hmm. um, and how the board runs and, and who runs the board and, you know, what skill set is there to support the CEO because – he really needs support from his board. Um, you know, then the other conversation I suppose we will get into is, you know, if you don't have the right level of political support within an SOE, it becomes impossible to try and achieve large objectives, whether they're in three months, six months, or five years. But, but I, I beg to differ, um, Robin, uh, from, from the point of view that, I mean, if we have, um, it doesn't matter, you're going to have a very sound board. Um, overseeing um, entity with all the rings and bells around corporate governance, but if the 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 business model is problematic, it doesn't matter. The SAA will still be losing money. Um, no, I, I no, I don't think we disagree at all. Okay, I mean, if you've got a fundamentally flawed business pl- plan, mm-hmm. you know you, you can't fix it. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's the first thing you're going to make a harsh call in the turnaround very early on is to say. Is this a business that can be saved? Mm, absolutely, because I think the the new board and the new CEO that's something that they would um, interrogate with with the frankness uh, uh, um, as much as possible to look at really the, the business model, um, so that you're able to see what can be salvaged and what can't be salvaged. Because um, my biggest fear is that we we 
you know, media and everybody else talks about um, how corrupt, um, you know, board was and what have you. You know, granted, um, corruption and maladministration, it's a big no-no. There's no doubt about that. But we also have to go beyond just simply maladministration, but get a sense on exactly what will it take for this entity to be turned around. We'll take a break and come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. Welcome back. It is now 23 after 6. I'm joined in studio by Robin Nicholson, a former uh, CFO at the South African Broadcast Corporation, as well as the acting uh, um, uh, CEO there. Um, the topic tonight is the turnaround strategy in the context of the South African Airways. We know that the, the Airways belonged with a number of challenges. So the question is, how do we get it to a level where uh, it's not going to be a liability. Um, if you want to weigh in, drop us an email. Uh, my name is, um, drop us an email at uh, nimrod at high to see it or give us an SMS on 34519. Uh, as you know that your, your thoughts and your views are always welcome. Coming back, uh, Robin, uh, we've, we've said now, you know, uh, the LA requires about 10 billion rands as a bailout. And, and government, as it were, is almost forced to bail SAA. There's no two way about it. The money will. I mean, we're told that they they will use the proceed from from telecom, which you know, which is about 800 million rand annual uh, uh, proceeds, you know, from telecom to fund um, um, SAA towards the 10 billion rand. Um, you know, we also know that the Melusi Kikaba came out on Thursday last week to say they are contemplating to sell some of the assets which is something that is brilliant because clearly there's some inefficiency around some of the assets. But the fundamental question is the 10 billion rand um, that is clearly a loss, you know, uh, in the long term because we're not going to get the return on investment. You know, why are we doing this? Well, you know, Nimrod, if, if uh, and I'm sure your listeners out there, have, many of them run businesses. You know, when you go, when you go to borrow money, and you say to a bank, listen, I made a loss last year and I need to fill the gap. You know, the conversation ends quickly. <laughs> you know, if, if you go with the investment case and saying, look, I grew my business last year, but I now need to buy more stock or I need to buy a new aircraft to grow my roots, to become more efficient, to make more money, to repay the debt. You can have a conversation with, with that because it makes sense. You know, the, the conversation that, and as you say, the, the government here has been the lender of last resort. They've sort of got to plug the gap with 10 billion. Um, but why use good productive assets to fund a loss-making business that you may not need? I mean, the, that fundamental question doesn't get answered. You know, if SAA has, has gone through 10 billion and if that's the size of the hole they're in, what's the likelihood that they're ever going to get out of it? You know, you start selling, you know, this is where you start selling your Kruger ends to start paying off your debt. Um, you know, that sort of might make some sense, but you know, I don't have the Kruger ends, but you still got more debt. You know, what's causing the debt is still ongoing. So, and I, and I, I don't envy the, the guys at National Treasury. I'm, you know, they've got a whole host of SOEs demanding more and more money at the door every year, and it's becoming harder and harder to fund it. You know, there's a lot of investment that, what else could you do with 10 billion rand? Um, there's a lot that you can jump in. For an example, the, 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 the education. I mean, the fees must fall, fall campaign. Um, that 10 billion rand will go a mile. But just before you get to that, to that part as to how, uh, how far 10 billion rand can go, um, I would imagine 
that government will, will bail out SAA. But in your view, what will be some of the conditions for the bailout as part of the turnaround? I mean, uh, governance will be one of them, I would imagine. Let's get the board. Let's get competent individual who sits at the board with sufficient experience, technical capabilities, and, and let's also get the CEO. Uh, well, well, I think that you've got to start off with a, with a, whatever the strategy is that the, the new CEO comes up with. There's got to be strong performance contracting at the board levels. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and speaking of my own experience, it's fine to have performance contracting with your line management. You know, where the user and the performance appraisal linked to the bonuses, linked to the remuneration, mm-hmm. career advancement and the like. Um, you know, that, that structure's well established within the PFMA, but it's got to come up to the boards. You know, where, where people who are sitting on these parasitical boards have to be accountable for delivery. Um, and if you've got that kind of framework in place that shows that there is going to be a cash flow or an economic benefit of, on the greatest, the greater good, Mm-hmm. Um, in, in real sense, you know, that starts to make an ec- economic sense for an SAA turnaround. Um, but will we see that before the 10 rand is given, the, the 10 billion is spent? Um, you know, I doubt it. I mean, I think it's, it's realistic to, to say that the, the CEO has got his, get his feet underneath the check, the, the, the his desk. He's got to understand the business. Mm-hmm. He's got to understand what the opportunities are. He has to integrate. The strategy, he has to really understand how this whole thing hangs together and what he's going to keep and what he's not going to keep. Um, but he's in the middle of a firefight, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's, he's burning cash every day. He doesn't have a lot of time to turn this around. Um, I think that it's going to be very difficult to come up with a clear performance contracting and a clear economic case from day one. Uh, it's an unrealistic expectation. Um, so, you know, you, you've got a frightful choice of having to put 10 billion rand into previous losses. Without having a clear view on what the economic outcomes are we going forward. It's, it's not a business case that any other business would survive. I would imagine, I mean, uh, uh, he, one of the things that he'll probably do is to do investigation of the investigation to prove how much money, uh, was lost to who and why, uh, and, and have the time that will consume us consume his time in terms of actually turning around because all these investigations which by the way are correct uh, but that that won't necessarily turn everything around because by the time you you are able to 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 understand exactly what is happening you've lost a, a year or two of your contract you know if you if you look at international practice around this today there are a lot of businesses today that find themselves in this kind of hole where they have a chief restructuring officer where they're bringing somebody whose job is twofold. One, fix operations mm-hmm. um, and you'll have an operational team to do that and to fix legacy issues, which would include all the forensic stuff that's got to happen. I mean, if if the CEO allows himself to get bogged down in that, obviously he has to have oversight of it. But if he allows himself to get bogged down in mm-hmm. who did what to whom and when, um, he'll never get out of, the business will never get out of the hole it's in. You know, it's got a price tag to it. We, we know that price tag now, it's $10 billion, You know, and, and I hope he's, he, I would hope that his, his restructuring approach is going to be quite radical and put someone in who's going to deal with restructuring on one end and the forensic, the, the, the history and the, you know, the history and, and consequence, um, in another bucket. You know, that would be part of the advice I give him. You know, it's, you can't do both. You, you just burn the candle at both ends and then you don't focus on, on anything. No, I could, I couldn't agree with you more. But, but, um, on the side of the operation, the biggest, uh, key player, 
um, is the union. Uh, we know that SAA, the union, is quite um, robust, um, a critical stake play, um, um, a role player in the in the in the negotiations around um, the turnaround. Um, he's likely to be confronted with um, challenges there because first, when you do a turnaround, it's all about how you increase revenue and how you cut cost. And cutting costs, unfortunately, um, that has their implications because when you mechanize, you, you're likely to bring people um, uh, or cut of people. What what should be his strategy in, in, in dealing with that part? Because, um, I mean, we, 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 it, it has been established that there's more stuff uh, than needed um, at the SAA. Oh, I think it's going to be the challenge. You know, the, the working out which routes, what pricing, those things are, are technical things that you can you, you can get resource into the help, but the leadership challenge of yeah. dealing with SAA's legacy in terms of non-transformation of its pilot force, mm-hmm. of having too many skills, of downsizing its routes. So what happens to the staff that are currently on those routes? Mm-hmm. How do you reskill them? Where do you redeploy them? You know, one of the subtle subtexts in this plan that they've probably so far is a smaller SAA. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, as you say, naturally means fewer people and Going into a turnaround when you've got a strong, well-established militant union. Um, well, it has been militant at times in the past on certain key issues. But there's a lack of trust between management and, and unions in a turnaround. You know, it's it's a precondition almost to a turnaround. Labor wants to support and help because there are jobs that, that can be saved. <laughs> but at the same time, their primary objective is to save all the jobs and to grow the business. So I can't see any way that... That's not going to be a confrontational and fraught relationship. It's been it's been that way for a long time at SA. And I, you know, if you look at the broader politics of of where the labour movements are right now, you know, there's a realignment going on across the country with labour right now. And I don't think that's not going to play itself out in SA as well. And which, which obviously uh, makes it even his, his work even more more difficult, because I mean, in a turnaround setup, there are trade-offs. There's certain things that. Um, 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 I think it, it leads to my next question around the kind of power um, he ought to have because it, his predecessors had similar challenges but failed purely because he didn't get support, i.e. support from the board or support from, from the minister himself because they they also been part of the problem. And do you think um, we have learned enough in terms of the previous administration in relation to their failures? And, and how the, the the new CEO ought to be supported differently so that um, uh, uh, he succeed, because otherwise we're setting up we're setting up to fail. Well, absolutely. You know, we, we've 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 seen this happen in in Paris battles before. It's not the first time that this challenge is going to be faced. Um, you know, if you go back to Maria Ramos's time at, at Transnet, she was well supported at a political level and within national tradition. She was able to restructure a very large group. Efficiently and effectively, one, you know, some people would say almost ruthlessly in the mm-hmm. way she did it, but she, she got it done because she had that support. She also had issues with, with, in those days, predominantly white unions, um, and post retirement medical aid and all those other mm-hmm. good perks that she also had to work through. So, um, if he doesn't get the right kind of political support to do this, and in the current environment, I think that's going to be very, very difficult and, and a massive challenge. You know, all success in business is through and with people. It, it is that simple. If you don't have the right human resource in the organization, properly motivated to do its job properly and in a 
competent and, and caring way, you don't have a business. Absolutely. You know. And and basically from a, a, a political support there are two critical ministers from his treasury, which is Malusi as well as the state on uh, uh um, Lynn Brown. Lynn Brown. These are two important uh ministers which by no means have to be supportive um um to the CEO because if if he cannot guarantee that support, um he might as a pack. Well, hopefully there, there will be that political alignment. It's very difficult to comment on that. Okay, great stuff. But anyway, if you've just joined us, um, I mean, in conversation on a very complex and interesting uh, uh, issue around the transformation, I'm joining studio by uh, uh, Robin Nicholson, who used to be the CFO at the South African uh, 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 Broadcasting um, Corporation, as well as the CEO at some time. Uh, and, and we're really getting a sense of the current challenges around transformation and what needs to be done differently uh, to change the airline. Um, and, and one of the critical issues of, uh, at play is the 10 billion rands, which uh, uh, is needed to bail um, the, the airline. And we, it's common cause that that 10 billion rands can go a mile in terms of addressing education and in terms of addressing housing, uh, in terms of addressing you know, for all what is the Americana issue uh, we've talked about earlier, there's just so much that can be done. Um, this persistence of trying to salvage uh, an entity that we all know that is not going to yield the return, it's, it's, it's absolutely insane. Well, yes. Uh, you know, I, I think that let's have a look what's happening in Brazil right now. Mm. We, today they came out and announced a large restructuring of all their state-owned entities to to release resources, to pay down their debt, and to get the economy going. What worries me in this conversation, not this conversation, mm-hmm. the conversation at the national level, mm-hmm. is we're talking about selling off certain assets to deal with one problem. Mm-hmm. But the problem is much larger than that. You know, we, we know that the SABC, for example, is again at the table saying, you know, we need more cash to plug some of the holes we've created. Um, you've got other parastatals who are also going to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, you've seen debt ground grades forced on Transnet, you're going to see, de- and that means the interest bill is going to go up. Mm-hmm. If we are going to restructure state assets and, and sell off um, valuable assets to deal with problems, let's do it, let's do it on a global basis and let's mm-hmm. pick winners. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and as much as I fly and they say, I don't think it's a winner business. So, so basically your advice would be for us um, to have a, a comprehensive turnaround. Let's not look at one entity. Let's look at all entities and say which ones are, are of um, value and are actually profitable. And and if they're profitable, which means government is able to, to, to get re- the returns. And those that are loss-making, let's dish them out. Yes, absolutely. You know, this is a typical case if you're a holding company and you're looking at a whole range of your businesses right now. Um, a couple of basic rules. Always put your best people against your best opportunity, not your biggest problem. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got a biggest problem, get it. Someone else to take it over. You know, even at a loss, if you can focus on the opportunities that give you growth and revenue and, and social delivery, spend your money there. If you've got a real problem child that you can't seem to get your head around, get rid of it. You know, it, that's what happens in business. We, we, we buy businesses, we sell businesses. Sometimes we sell businesses we know are going to be great, but they don't fit to us. You know, um, that they don't fit within your portfolio, your competences. And clearly I think we've got enough evidence to, to say that running an airline is not a national competence that we have within national treasury or within 
DTI or within the SAA. You know, bring in a management team that can do it, sell it, or restructure it, but putting ten another ten billion into it when there are other competing priorities, I don't think is the best investment decision to make. And yes, let's look at the whole portfolio of opportunities because that analysis will tell us where we should be taking our economy. And if it is in social development around healthcare, <laughs> infrastructure, education, job creation, the payoff in those areas is going to be much bigger than than, than saving a, a, a dying airline. But is the, 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 the elephant in the room, Robin, for me, is the ability to follow through and execute. Because remember, um, at some point we've had an analysis of all the SOEs at some point. Um, uh, yeah, the there was a presidential review commission, review commission that in, in 2011. And as not, part of the NDP. Exactly. And what has happened to that? I don't know. You know? Uh, for me, I mean, there's no there's no political will because we can restructure as 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 many times as possible, unless or until we're able to to confront the reality. Uh, and I don't think the current administration wants to do that. I think they're busy doing other things. You know, I mean, there's a succession battle going on in ANC. There's a policy conference that just passed. There's a, a, a major leadership challenge coming up in in December, and that's going to change the cabinet in. In the new year, you know, and and where will this turnaround strategy fit in all of that large mess? You know, we were saying you have to get your stakeholders aligned, and, and labour and, and the unions are, are one. Government is the other, and it's in a state of flux. You know, there, there might be policy consistency within the ANC, and there often is. I mean, let's be let's be fair and, and give fairness where it's required. I mean, the. the the governing party doesn't change its policies very quickly. I mean, it has leadership challenges and other things. But consistently, it's it's got a national development plan. How does SA fit into that? How does this turnaround strategy lock into that? You know, and, and how does spend, spending 10 billion rand on, on losses solve that problem? Maybe the, the, the right answer would be, in, I mean... I know we can't do a national debt default. Uh, I'm not I'm foolish enough to suggest that. But sometimes, you know, banks also stop lending for good reason. You know, people have lent money to SAA on the basis that the government would pay it. Um, does the taxpayer, is the taxpayer the only person that should take a haircut here? Absolutely, absolutely. Let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. Welcome back. It is now 18 to 7. I'm joined in studio by uh, Robin Nicholson, um, giving us uh, his uh, uh, well thought through uh, um, thinking around the turnaround because um, he, this is a man that has been in, in, in the co-fund and a number of occasions he has, has literally bent his figures, so, so, so to speak, <laughs> around this turnaround. Uh, the question, uh, perhaps maybe um, the listeners might want um, to, to, to get from you, Robin, um, is 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 what are the major ticket items um, that are considered cost drivers from an airline point of view? Um, for an example, fuel is one of the biggest, you know, uh, 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 ticket item. How do you address that, or how do you address all those other critical elements um, to ensure that your your turnaround becomes successful? Yeah, number you know, let's. Start of what, what is the basic business that SA is in? Mm-hmm. It's a logistics business. Mm-hmm. It delivers people and cargo from point A to point B. So what are the point A's and what are the point B's? And then what is the configuration that's needed to do that? And if mm-hmm. you go back over the last two decades, 
that seems to be a major challenge for SA to mm-hmm. decide what's the configuration, um, which aircraft, what routes, what airlines, um, because the biggest cost by far is the aircraft. You know, it's, it, th- those things come in at, with a, at a massive cost. Um, and they've got an interest bill that goes with it. You know, and it's dollar denominated, so it's got a foreign exchange fluctuation. The, the, the next one, of course, is fuel. And, you know, if you look at some of the, the driving trends in the airline industry a couple of years ago, everyone wanted a newer, cheaper, more mm-hmm. fuel efficient aircraft, but at $50 a barrel, suddenly, the low-cost airlines in in Europe are flying very old planes, you know, because it, the fuel cost in the low in the low-cost airlines is the big driver because the planes are fully paid for. Mm-hmm. So they're not worried about the depreciation cost and the the financing cost and the lease costs because those planes are owned by them. They they're far more. They're not as leveraged as SA is around its planes. So its capital structure is quite an important point and and drives a lot of costs in the business. Um, so that's Another big part of what happens, how do you finance these planes? What is the duration of it? Which of the ones do you keep? Mm-hmm. What aircraft engine do you run because of the fuel economy? Um, which is a big thing for SA because they fly very long distances. Um, you know, and they're up against A380s, which are more, far more fuel efficient relative to each passenger they're carrying. And those planes are not going away, and yet we don't have any of them because we don't have the passenger um, density for them. Mm-hmm. So that decision about which routes they are flying, what aircraft configuration they're going to have, how they're going, what engine choice they're going to make, um, I think is the first starting point for, for SA from a cost management point of view. Mm-hmm. Because that will also tell them what their staff deployment needs, what their sizing needs, what their technical staffing capacity needs to be in order to service those aircraft wherever they're flying to, what they need in terms of their technical space. What SA needs to do about its spare history, what, what aircraft will it service, what aircraft won't it service going forward. You know, it tries to be all things to all people, um, whereas it doesn't necessarily have to be that. You know, so, um, and then people. You know, if you look at what Kalula is playing for their flight crews versus what SAA is playing for its flight crews, there's a glaring Difference in in the cost of human capital, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I don't think the safety record between Kulula and SAA there's a no difference. Yeah, because they're know. regulated anyway. They they over well they're very well regulated. I mean, there's a high regulatory cost in these businesses as well, and that keeps the passengers safe from the aircraft builders, the airline, the aircraft engine owners, and the insurers all want. A, a safe skies policy, and I don't think that's likely to change anytime soon. You know, and it's, that's a global trend. So there are some things around the regulator that SAA has no ability to change whatsoever that adds a layer of com- cost and complexity to its business. Um, and safety for its passengers, which, you know, if you're flying an aircraft, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? I hope this thing's not going to come out of the sky. So <laughs> you, you prepare to pay a premium for, for safety. Um, then of course there's the flight and, and landing costs of, you know, uh, we all know that, you know, if you fly into Cape Town today, do you take off on Mango from SA, from ORT or from Lanceria? Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the parking costs, if you look at those other ancillary costs, it's almost 250 rand cheaper to go to another air, to, to go to another airport. Um, and those are costs that SAA don't control, but the passenger is looking at his total fare. And, you know, the, those ancillary on costs and, 
related network charges are important part of uh, of SAA's um, cost makeup because the passengers pay them and they don't control them. So if you're flying into UAE at three o'clock in the morning and you fly to London at eleven, what are you going to do for eight hours? You know, um, or you're going to fly direct on BA. Um, and if you if, if you're a serious businessman and you go to London. Why do you have to go to Dubai? Because, yes, it's cheaper, but, you know, you've got a time cost and standing charge. And when you get to London, you're not really tired, and you've got important business to do. So there's all of those other costs that SAA doesn't control that are around the business it's in, which is moving people from point A to point B. And it really has to get its handle on what planes, what configuration, what flights. Does it do its buying and, and its its aircraft tires and all those buying pools? That I know, I mean, SA has been working long and hard on, on getting into the right pools um, with Emirates and, and other partnerships and smart partnerships around bringing down its operating costs. And they've been working on that for a long time. Have they really delivered the benefits that they would expect it from those pools? We don't know because they're not reported on. No, okay, and I, hopefully we'll see that ca- coming up now. I, I can imagine. Um, clearly there are a, a, a number of variables that needs to be taken into account in assessing the profitability, um, let alone the management of, of an airline. Um, but one of the critical questions that I'm sure the listeners might want to know is is what is our competitive advantage now that we sit, we sit at the tip of the continent? Um, what does it mean in relation to fuel, uh, lending rights, uh, com- uh, 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 and, and, and those kind of things that really make business sense? How do we navigate that? Because one would imagine that the turnaround strategy have to look at that and say, you know, which is the most profitable route? Why is this a, a profitable route? Um, some of these uh, routes, they're more political than commercial. Um, at, at what point the CEO has an override uh, thought process around what is profitable, which may not necessarily become politically uh, palatable? Yeah, look, that that's a really difficult Strategic question that SA has to answer. You know, I'm sure when, when um, Christopher Columbus set sail for, for for the Americas, he didn't know where he was going. Right? He didn't know how to get there. When he got there, he didn't know he'd arrived. But if you looked at at the long term consequences of opening up that trade route, you know, it led to massive wealth for Europe. Um, you know, so it, it's very difficult to imagine. That you can't have a route to China, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 or a route into India, or a route into Europe, or a route into North America or South America. Those big strategic things are very difficult to justify initially because they are going to make losses and they are going to need subsidies. But there must be a, there must be a clear path to profitability and economic good sense in that. One of the, the things we have to give SAA that they can do nothing about the fact that we're at the bottom end of Africa. We're a long way from anything else. You know, if you want to go to Europe or if you want to go to India, if you want to go to South America, it's a long way. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, and they don't control that at all. So for, for them to be a regionally dominant aircraft uh, um, operator, well, they're in a poor neighborhood. You know, we don't have well-developed neighbors with, with good infrastructures and, and high demand. You know, if you look at the flights out of West Africa, for example, much bigger market, mm-hmm. far more people fly. Um, maybe that's an opportunity for them. You know, I, you know, I know they've been talking um, about West Africa for a long time and, and creating uh, a, a new spoke in Senegal. 
it makes long-term strategic sense if you're building a business for 20 years. Um, they can't do anything about the fact that they at the southern end of Africa, and that, that is a cost base that they can't get away from. You know, it's a, mm. that's a fact of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's very little that they can do about it. Sure. I mean, um, this makes it very difficult for, for the new CEO. I mean, I, I, in our earlier conversation, you said Vianney is, is in really big trouble and, and not so much about, um, um, uh, him per se, but the kind of challenges that he is going to experience and, and the timeline in remedying those challenges because, um, some of these things are not static. They are moving targets. Um, the moment you just think you've got one, um, you know, it moves to the next level. So, uh, it's going to be very difficult for him to, to really, um, um, turn around the SAA. I reckon he's got a big challenge. I mean, he's, he's coming from a hyper competitive industry in, in IT. Um, it's also a space where, you know, more is demanded every day with less input and everyone wants the IT cheaper. So, uh, you know, I think he understands the, the hyper competitive nature of what he's getting into. But more strength to his arm, you know, if he's prepared, let's be honest, he has to be brave to have taken this on. I'm sure. You know, I'm and, sure. and I suppose every South African should say, you know, all strength to your arm, good luck. Even if we've been cynical about saying, well, if these are the risks of challenges, you know, um, it's going to be quite a challenge. And we've got to support him as, as far as we can. I mean, um, and and to the extent that wishing people luck and, and having the right empathy and, and the goodwill. But that's not good enough. You know, I'm not sure how far it goes to fixing a business. You know, it's it's going to be quite a challenge. <laughs> oh, Christ, I, I really feel sorry for for him. But but I think to make his work slightly better or lighter, um, this is where Elia Ona said, um, if the the ministers involved uh, will be that supportive, uh, not just by words, because there are serious financial implications and serious political decisions that needs to be made to make the airline. But again, uh, not only. Um, I think I like the earlier point that you raised that part of the the the, the reconfiguration, reconfiguration does not have to look at one entity. You have to look at you know the the, the entire SOE landscape and say which asset because ultimately you're able to make economic sense in terms of selling uh, uh, entities that are liabilities, and and ultimately the government is likely to streamline uh, its resources and be able to 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 to, to get the benefits. Well, I, you know, I think that he's got to have a real um, tripartite alliance. He's got alliance with, he's got to have a strong alliance with Labour, with his cabin crews, because they're different unions. He's got to have a strong alliance with both of the ministers involved, and he's got to have a functional board, and you know, with deep expertise that can provide backup where he may be technically short. You know, so hopefully there'll be a couple of people with good airline. Um, industry, industry knowledge on that board, you know, uh, if you look across Africa today, um, Kenya and Ethiopian airlines are doing well, you know, um, Nigeria has had its own challenges, um, Erika has basically collapsed, it's, you know, no longer flying into, into, into ORT, so there are other opportunities, but once more, he's going to have to build partnerships with those regulators and, and those governments, because you don't fly into a country Without having good international relations, you know, so it's it's actually three ministers that he's going to need on side. He's going to need the Durko as well. Great stuff. But but of the the three uh, partners, 
i.e. Um, labor, government and business, uh, where is the biggest hurdle for him in uh, making sure that the, the turnaround becomes uh, a reality? If he can't get the political will and the political support, he will go nowhere. You know, it, it, we know this. I mean, we've seen it in every Paris battle. Those that do well have got a level of political support. Those that battle with governance and can't get decisions made, it's because there's politi- political contestation um, in that space. And if you look at the broadcast, the broadcasting space <laughs> over the last 20 years, you can see it quite clearly, you know. Um, if there's a political will, things will happen. If there isn't, it doesn't. Um, you know, and I don't think SA's um, challenges are going to be any less but, simply because there's a new CEO, but you still got the same ministers. But but the kind of pressure that we've seen uh, build over uh, um, allegations of um, of maladministration, um, misgovernance from the current chairperson, surely that should give um, uh, sufficient sleepless nights for the minister and and the incoming board for them not to repeat the same mistake. Fishes rot from the head, you know, and businesses without proper boards, without proper governance. I do a lot of work in turnaround. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, if you meet the board of directors, you know what the issues are, mm-hmm. if they're awake. If they've given themselves enough space to fix the business, they can. Um, but if they're fighting, mm-hmm. you know, every businessman knows that if he's got to fight at his board, he's, you know, his business is going to suffer. Um, and if these governance issues are going to be dealt with, they must be dealt with quickly. So I would imagine one of the the, 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 the biggest tick has to let's sort out the board. Let's sort the board first. And let's about competent people who understand the strategy, who understand the, 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 the complexity Absolutely. of the environment. And abroad, create the environment where success can flourish. If you don't create that environment, you've got nowhere to go. You'll just simply throw good money off to bed. Absolutely. But also uh, him being given powers to... Um, when when needs be fire people that are stumbling blocks because half of these things are, are, are you know turn around I would imagine you've got you you've been in in, in in spaces where you had to fire people. You know I can remember when I first started the SABC I having a discussion with the the one of the members of the audit committee mm. and I was whining badly like a spoiled <laughs> child and he said to me no you must remember this and he said and, and it, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of it because he said you know the SABC is not a place for sissies. And, and I've got to say, you know, after having spent 11 years working in that environment, SOEs are not for sissies. Hmm. Um, you know, so you've got to, you, you really have to be a strong leader and take decisive action um, to deal with those bottlenecks. You know, if, if, if there's a problem with a person, deal with it. You know, either you can get them to perform or they can go and become someone else's problem. But, you know, you, you will have to be very tight. On, on leadership and, and decisive leadership will be needed. No questions asked. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. What a beautiful conversation we've had tonight with Robin. Thank you very much for coming through, sir. Pleasure. And uh, to all your listeners, hopefully we've had a good conversation for a few hours. Oh, yes, indeed. I certainly enjoyed it. Until we meet again, it has been an absolute pleasure. Adios.